0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, obviously, after a talk like that, we should pray, hey? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, maybe we don't really know how much we have. Maybe we need to go to Appalachia or Burundi and see it. Uh, I know our our tendency, God, is to compare ourselves with the guys who live in multi-million dollar houses and drive amazing automobiles and make amazing amounts of money and (coughs) do what seemingly are amazing things. We're such a we're such a worshiping culture of people. Michael Phelps. I mean the athletes. And God it it just captures us sometimes and keeps us from seeing you and from seeing your amazing nature. It keeps us from really seeing what you are doing and who you are, experiencing that, because we're just so captured by the stuff of this life. Thanks for John for being willing to go, first of all, God, uh, for equipping him to go. He obviously was equipped to go. And Sometimes we don't know how equipped we are. Uh, We look at ourselves and we wonder, we question instead of trust. Instead of, no, you've called, we are part of that answer. We are beacons of light in this world. It's not that we might be beacons of light in this world. It is that we are beacons of light in this world. Mission trips like this one, just underline that, Father. It helps us to recognize it, to see it. And my prayer today, God, is that you just grasp our hearts and our minds all of our beings that we would see and see how you've placed us in this world and in your kingdom and the kind of influence and the kind of light that we are and that we should not as we've sung from Bible school on we should not put our light under a bushel (laughs) God let our light shine I pray that for Christ's sake For the gospel's sake, in the name of the only one who is the light, Christ our Lord, Amen. I met uh, I met two men this past week, and uh, I believe it was Monday, and it was interesting because it just I just happened upon them. Uh, Jim and Kent were their names. And they actually caught my ear because <laughs> I was in a restaurant and I was kind of listening and writing and thinking myself and praying and doing those things. And this, Kent was meeting with a younger man at my first encounter with their voices. And I couldn't help but, but listen because he was helping this younger man think out loud about how to experience God in a vital way. They were looking at Scripture. They were talking about their lives in real fashion. They were asking questions. Sometimes questions we fail to ask, and thus the responses that could be happening in our heart isn't, because we just don't ask the question. They were doing that, and it caught my ear. I I couldn't help as I was reading Psalms and thinking about some things and just praying myself, just listening to Kent coach this young man toward Christ and toward following Christ. I couldn't help but just leap inside, you know, just go, way to go, you know, <laughs> good job. I mean, I was just excited. And so after a little while, um, I came back to the table after having walked away for a couple of minutes and, and the young man was just leaving. And so I spoke to Kent. And my, my words to Kent were basically, um, you know, thanks for doing that. <laughs> thanks for being willing to pour your life into another human being and really do it for Christ, you know, and do it and obviously for that. And so I, and I started asking him questions like, um, so so why do you do this? You know, why did you have this kind con- I mean, are you in ministry? You know, is this your job? You know, you're supposed to do this, so to speak, you know? And he started laughing. And about that moment, Jim walks up from behind me and Kent walks, you know, kind of waves him over, that kind of thing. And, 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 you know, he, he walks up and he, and he looks at Jim and he's chuckling and he's saying, he's asking me why I do this. You know, (laughs) he's asking me what this is about. And Jim puts words to it. Jim says, um, we're just living our lives. we're just touching each other, you know, spiritually, with stuff that matters. We're just, we just do this because it's who we are. And it's not about the what, you know. And Ken actually says, yeah, he was asking me, ha, 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 if I was in ministry, huh? And it was like, I would never be in ministry. I don't think I would, you know. I mean, it was kind of like, if you knew my story, you wouldn't even be asking me whether I was in ministry or not, you know? I mean, isn't that the way we feel? <laughs> isn't it? It's the way I feel. <laughs> you know? Let's go. way to go. And we talked for a couple more minutes and, you know, exchanged cards and that kind of stuff, you know? But it was refreshing to me. That's the word. It was refreshing to see two grown men who were just loving the Lord enough to walk it out. And after we we said goodbye, I sat down at my table, and they were still sitting right next to me, and so I could still hear their voices. And Jim says something like this to Kent. He says, um, so are you ready to jump in? And Jim mentors Kent for the next hour. (laughs) Kent was pouring his life into this young man, and Jim was pouring his life into Kent just because you see it he said we just do that I was on the phone this week and I actually had received a call from a, from a friend of mine and um, he told me about another friend of ours uh, common acquaintance so to speak I don't know this young man very well um, and after my friend called me and told me about this this uh, fellow for a minute whom I, whom I know, I called him and got his phone number and called him. And we spent about 30 minutes on the phone. And it was one of those kind of conversations where you get excited because of what the person's saying, you know, like this young man was saying, I want to be the best father I can be, you know, and he's probably 26, seven years old, you know, he's got a little one and a half year old baby. And just, you know, you go, way to go, you know, just, oh, man, pour your life into that kid, you know. And he told me the story of how him following Christ had inspired him to be a father, you know. And it was just neat. It was just one of, those, one of those times where you go, where you go, wow, you know. And then he tells me, and I already knew that he and his wife were having trouble and that she was actually living in a different place at that moment but then he tells me um, thursday night in the morning i woke up and i could not get her off my mind and his heart was just kind of thumping inside you know because of this passion for this woman and he had told us in our bible study group how many times that, that he wanted her to see christ and know christ and how he was describing christ to her and trying to help her really get with it you know understand the nature of who christ is and what it means that Spiritual life can actually be real. He, he said he heard his son crying and he went into the room and, and his son, one and a half, was calling mommy's name, you know, and, and, and doing this kind of stuff, you know. And he learns later that morning, that at 4 a.m. that morning, his wife killed herself. You know, 20-some years old, hopeless, you know, making the kinds of decisions that change life forever, you know. And Mike, over the next half hour, just kind of spills his heart. You can imagine what he's going through. I I can't. I don't know. You know, I I, I go, I can't imagine and I can't imagine, you know. But he's got this heartbeat that wants God. He's got this heartbeat that wants to know Christ and wants to understand what it means to walk with Christ. And yet decisions like that are being made, you know. I mean, how do you make decisions? How do you spend your life? How do you spend your resources? What do you look at when you see another human being, when you look into their eyes? What do you see, you know? How do you decide? How do you decide where it is to go, where it is to walk? What what does it look like, you know? What does it look like every day, three o'clock in the afternoon, four a.m. in the morning, with your son, with your wife, with your friend? I mean, what does that look like? What is that about, you know? How do you decide? What, What goes into those kinds of decisions? I got a box in the mail this week and it was a four-pound box. That was the email that came to me. I was getting a four-pound box on UPS and I had no idea who it was from, you know. And I'm going okay. (laughs) They're telling me the date it's coming and all this kind of stuff. It's called quantum shipping or something. I don't know. I never heard of it. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue what it was, you know. And yet, and when I get it, there's four books in the box. This is one of those books. There's four books in this box. It weighs four pounds and I'm going why did you send these books to me? There's no note inside of it. There's nothing, just four books. Now I know I know the guy generally. I know him i am I'm gonna email him tomorrow and say, so so who sent me these books? <laughs> what what are you up to here, you know? What what are you after for me? What you know, and it's really interesting because this particular book is written by a fellow named Paul David Tripp. Some of you, if you've been in the peacemaking process, have read some of his stuff, like Instruments in a Redeemer's Hand is one of his books. And and it's called A Quest for More. And the, the title is A Quest for More. And the byline is, Living for Something Bigger Than You. <laughs> and I haven't read this yet. I've done my preview of the four books that I do. I do this little thing with each book every, to decide whether I'm going to read it or not, you know. And uh, and I'm going to read this one. I've got them in an order that I'm going to read the four books in. I assume... God wanted me to have them. That's why they showed up on my doorstep, you know. So I'm going, "Okay, Lord, I'm listening, you know. Help me out here." And and when I when I when I looked at this and in my preview, one of the one of the things I do in my preview of a book is I read the last chapter, you know, cuz I want to know where they end up. <laughs> and it kind of helps me know whether I should read this book or not, you know, and and it also helps me know how to read the book cuz you can figure out as you're reading, why did he get to where he got to, and how did he get there, and all that kind of stuff? You know, you start seeing the threads. So, you know, and I, so I opened up to the last chapter of this book, and um, and it's basically really a simple chapter. He's describing a guy named Zach, and it's called putting it all together. And he talks about uh, things that Zach believed. That's, thus he lived his, his life the way he lived his life. Now, I guess I'm going to meet Zach in the book. I don't know who Zach is, you know, yet. But he, but he got, identifies these five things that, that Zach believes. You know, Zach believes, Zach believes, and he, he lists all that, these five things down. And then he comes down to the last section of the book, and he writes seven sets of questions. And that's the chapter. Well, that really got my attention, you know, because he's not trying to just tell me the answer. He's trying to get me to think. You know? Well, I like that. Well, I want to read you uh, on the on the flap of the book. There's a little little statement. I'm assuming it's a quote out of the book because it's in, in quotes, and I want you to listen to this, because it's so interesting to me what he says in this in this little little two sentences. I wonder I wonder how you might um, might experience them. There really is no place, for Christ. In many people's Christianity, their faith is not actually in Christ, it is in Christianity and their own ability to live it out. Wow. That's the first sentence <laughs> of the book. Wow. So I come out of this and I come back to the, the last section of this and he's got these seven sets of questions and I've got three of them, you know, circled and two of them underlined, two sets. I'll, I'll read you the first one of these. It's just one question and it kind of is the caption of the book, so to speak, but, it, but he asks it in a, in a kind of a closed ended way, you know, you're going to say yes or no to this. You know, he says, are you, are you doing the concrete things in your life regularly because you are living for something bigger than your own personal definition of happiness. Are you living, are you doing the concrete things in your life regularly because you are living for something bigger than your own personal definition of happiness? Wow. You know, how do we decide what to live for? How do we decide who to engage with? How do we decide who to listen to? How do we decide who to speak to? How do we decide when to walk away? How do we decide when to be silent? How do you decide? You know, I, I have been meditating over the past few weeks on 1 um, Corinthians 4 and also, which led me to Acts chapter 18 and 19 and in Acts chapter 18 and 19 I watch the Apostle Paul move from one city to another city some cities he stays just a few days evidently and some cities he stays for as many as two years how did he decide you know I look at those chapters and I look at those experiences of moving from Corinth to Ephesus to a little town that I can't pronounce the name of it's in there but it looks really it looks like chihuahua to me I don't know it's not <laughs> chihuahua but I mean it looks it's kind of a weird name I never heard of it before you know and the people in that little city they say stay with us stay with us they're following Christ They're they're responding They're I mean they're doing the deal you know I mean he's having results and he says no I'll come back if the Lord leads me to but I'm gone and he leaves how did he decide he goes to another city where there's this awful things happening to him I mean awful things and he stays there for two years how did he decide you know what were the principles that he used? I mean, is there a formula, you know? I mean, it's kind of like, what do you do when you've got to decide? When you have to walk it out and make a decision and look for it. Well, I started looking in this, and I started thinking about it, and I started, you know, and I, saw, and I see a lot now. I'm going to show you three things that I see in Paul, and, I, and I'm, I'm really going to show you these three things just to simply say, maybe they'll help you, you know? Maybe they'll help you on Tuesday when you're trying to decide something, whatever it is you're trying to decide maybe it's a life choice you know or maybe it's just a simple choice of who do you interact with you know how do you communicate with another human being and what do you talk about you know i want to three these three things are for sure principles i think i think they're in in these two chapters i think that they are clearly things the apostle paul used as filters through which he would pour his decision so to speak so that when the the response, the answer came out the other side. That the character of these three things were ingrained in the response, not just simply, I want this because I want this, you know, not just simply selfish living, but understanding the nature of what God might be up to. I mean, is there a God? Is He real? Does He have anything to do with your everyday life, with your choices, with your decisions, with what you live for? You know? So the Apostle Paul is a great example of it. And these two chapters are great examples. I commend you to read them. It's phenomenal when you look at the end of chapter 9 because it starts saying miracles are happening through these guys. I mean, lives are just being radically changed through the Apostle Paul and guys like that. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm looking for. I want lives changed, you know. Not just in me, but in others. I want transformational things happening in the body of Christ, in the nature of what the church is, in the nature of what an individual Christian is, and how we end up making decisions. I mean, I want that. And so I look at the Apostle Paul and go, wow, it was happening. It was real. Now, I had to end up asking the question on the front end, is this just historic reference? You know, is this just a historic description? Is that all it is for me to read and say, wow, look what happened to Paul. And I can trace him during these things. You know? One city to another, city to another place, short visit, long visit, you know, impactful visit. Like in chapter 9, it says that the whole, the whole country, if you will, or section of the world at that, that time, known as Asia, heard the gospel. I go, wow. Well, you know what happened prior to them hearing the gospel? Conflict. There was a problem between Paul and some others. I mean, conflict happened. But the result of Paul's choices that he made, the decisions he made out of that conflict, led to the gospel being heard across a whole nation. Wow, I want that, you know? And so what does it look like? How You know, And I'm, you know, I'm not here today, and one of the reasons I'm dressed kind of the way I am and sitting on a stool today is because I'm not here telling you anything, you know? I mean, you're just pointing to Him and pointing to the Word of God and saying, you know, let's think about these things. What do you want? You know, how do you decide? What are you looking for in life? I mean, there's a hundred different questions you answer every day. There's hundreds of decisions you make every day. How do you make those decisions? And what might God say to you through Acts 18 and 19? What might God say to you through the experience of a fellow called Paul the Apostle. Well, Ruthie, go to that first slide for me. The first thing I see, the overarching thing I see in this chapter uh, is that he was mission-focused. He had a mission, a call of God, and he knew it. He had quantified what it was. He knew the kind of activity that it took to produce it, the kind of partnerships that it took to produce it, and he was committed to those things. So, like in verse 8, In verse 4 of chapter 18, it says he was reasoning in the synagogue. There's one of those words, reasoning, that describe the Apostle Paul's actions. What was he up to? He was trying to persuade. You see, he he had a mission. He had a focus of what he was attempting to do. The way he did it was reasoning. The result of what he was after was persuasion. He literally wanted to do that. In verse 5, the very next verse, we see him changing something. We can talk about why he changed something. That was the decision that he made to begin devoting himself completely to the word. Before that, he was tent making as chapter, uh, as verse 1, 2, uh, 1, 2, and 3 describe, where he had a, had a job, if you will. Now he's not having a job. He's working full-time ministry might be what we would call it, you know, so now he's fully devoting himself to the word and then here he goes again, solemnly testifying. Here he is. Here is his mission. His mission just structured everything that he was doing. He stayed mission-focused. You know, I mean, one of the questions that we might end up asking is, what is my mission? Because if I don't know what my mission is, it's going to be kind of hard to be mission-focused. But if I know what my mission is, no matter what others are doing around me, I can be mission-focused. And if you make good decisions, it would seem, by the Apostle Paul's model for us, then being mission focused becomes important to that. If you go to the next slide, you'll see a couple of other examples of this. You know, he left there, I mean, he left where he was. Now, why did he leave? How, how did he come to that decision? This was a simple leaving, by the way. He was with Aquila and Priscilla, as verse one through four described. He was staying with them, working with them, tent making. They came together because of Claudius' decision to kick all the Jews out of Italy, and that's why he met Priscilla and Aquila, isn't that interesting? Just a human kind of experience. Sometimes we don't give a whole lot of attention to human experiences and we should because in the middle of those human experiences, God is going to exchange us and partner us with another human being and we should see that as something. But he left them and he went somewhere else. So what happened, why did he do that? Verse 11, You know, he settles in teaching the word of God among them. Why did he settle there for a year and a half? What made him do that? Mission focused. Notice his result, teaching. Notice the result in of him of him moving. He gets close to the synagogue as a matter of fact in verse 5 in verse 7 he's just getting closer to the place where he's going every week you know in verse 1 through 4 he went to the synagogue once a week he was working went to the synagogue once a week to reason with the Jews now he goes to full-time so to speak in verse 5 and what is what is what results from that he just moves closer to the center of how he can accomplish his mission he lives next door with this justice guy you know he lives next door to the synagogue he didn't have to go far now why because he has a mission you see it I mean, it's really simple. Mission-focused. When we see mission, we get there. Settles for a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. He wanted that. Next slide. And it's interesting, too, when you get to Acts 19, where, where he's in Ephesus, and now no longer makes any difference about um, size, like he, there were only about 12 men there. He has this great conversation beginning earlier in the chapter and going down through verse 7, you know, about the Holy Spirit and the relationship with the Holy Spirit between them and between the Christian and the Holy Spirit. I mean, just a great conversation. He didn't have that conversation with thousands. He was just a small group of guys, 12 men, you know? It didn't matter, you see? It didn't matter whether it was in the synagogue or whether it was with the, the guys who had the most influence and power. It didn't make any difference. He had some of those conversations too, now don't get me wrong. But here, he just got 12 men, just 12 guys sitting around him, you know? I mean, it's phenomenal when you start looking at what, it, what he did. And he entered the synagogue, verse 8, and continued speaking boldly for three months. Reasoning and persuading. There's his mission again. Reasoning and persuading. Reasoning and persuading. Knew exactly what God had called him to do. Knew what his mission was. Stayed true to that mission. Verse 9, look what happens down, down here. It's really interesting. When some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, now that's, a dis- that's one of the early descriptions of what it meant to be a Christian and people who were following Christ, they were called the way. We don't call ourselves that much anymore. But speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them. Now why did he withdraw from people just because they were speaking evil against the way? You follow me? There was a reason, and it was about his mission. Why, what did he do? He took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And The next verse tells us he stayed there for two years. I mean, it's phenomenal when you think in terms of mission, when you get mission-focused. Now, if you don't know what your mission is, it's kind of hard to be mission-focused, isn't it? What's your mission? What's your mission? You know? I mean, here's the Apostle Paul describing this, I mean experiencing this, and he pours it through this filter of mission and being mission focused. Okay, let's look at the second one. He stays connection focused. Now this is a pretty simple one for us because we're so relational. We love people. We like being around people. That's why we have parties and why we invite people over to watch the Olympics at our home, or why we go to a restaurant and sit there for a couple hours just talking to someone. You know, connection means something to us. But if you, if you look at the connection now, you're going to see a lot of connections, but you gotta, you got to remember the mission focus because his connection was also mission focused. But he connected to people who were mission focused as well, like Aquila and Priscilla, verse 2. You know here they are they've come to they come from Italy they got kicked out basically by the Emperor you know Claudius Caesar he kicks them out says we don't want you here anymore so they leave and he run into the Apostle Paul He just happened to meet him and because they had common activity tent making they end up living together working together and he goes to the synagogue once a week reasoning and testifying attempting to persuade you see it but he connects with Aquila and Priscilla why because it motivated his mission, in my opinion, but he stayed connected to them. Now, verse 5, here comes two more guys, Silas and Timothy. Well, we know about Silas and Timothy, right? Silas and Paul in a prison, praising at night, midnight, earthquake, you know, boom, their shackles are gone, but they don't run away. The Philippian jailer goes wild, you know, thinks he's going to die. He thinks he should kill himself because that, that would be the result of him losing them. You know, that he would have been put to death if he had lost his prisoners. And he says, hey, we're all here. <laughs> he says, Do <"Is> What? <laughs> He says, what do you have that I don't have? (laughs) Now, why do they stay in that prison? You see? Now, alone, they might have run. But with Silas, it was a whole lot easier to stay. I think that's true. Mission, they stayed. You know, and here he is. Here's Silas and Timothy. What's the result of the decision of connecting with Silas and Timothy? He's able to be full-time ministry. You know, devoting himself completely. You see it? The connections are just amazing, going go down to verse 7. We saw this verse a moment ago. Here, here is, you know, Tideus Justice, he's a worshiper of God, uh, he lives next door to the synagogue, which probably means, by the way, that he was not a Jew, he was a worshiper of God, a God-fearer, as they're commonly called, Gentile, who wants to really know God. You know, lives next door there, I mean, there's strategic, I suppose, elements of him staying there, but he, but he connects with that guy, you know? And and here comes Crispus. This isn't a place to eat a salad, by the way. Crispus, leader of the synagogue, believes in the Lord. You know, I mean, he gets named in the word of God. Can you imagine someone you lead to Christ who God puts their name in the Bible? (laughs) I mean, this is not not insignificant. Neither of these two guys are insignificant. These are vital things. You know, you can't do it alone. How many times have we said that, right? You can't do it alone. You need others. And God will bring them by your path. Sometimes people who are worshipers just like you are. Sometimes people you lead to Christ like like Crispus. Sometimes guys who are in ministry committed their lives to the gospel like Silas and Timothy. Sometimes just common folk. Aquila and Priscilla. Now these are two really amazing people by the way. In chapter 19 they, they basically disciple Apollos and he's described as the eloquent one. I mean Paul's not described as the eloquent one. Can you imagine if they were more eloquent than the Apostle Paul? That's that's Apollos, you know. And then look at verse 12. Here comes Galio. Uh, this is the pro now. This guy's a non-Christian, has nothing to do with anybody. I mean, but, but something God had said to, to Paul gets challenged. And this guy stands in his stead, so to speak, so to speak. He's ready to give, Paul's ready to give answer to them, but this guy stands up and says, no, 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 no. And this guy just crushes these other guys. I mean, this is a significant fellow. Sometimes we don't even see those significant people because we think they have to be Christians. They don't have to be. They don't. Why? Because God is the one we're following. And his mission is what we're attempting to get accomplished. It's not this selfish thing. You know, how do I live for more than myself? What was the third principle? Here it is. He listened. Paul listened. He, he consistently listened. You know, it's phenomenal. Now, if I had a long time and I was thought about just teaching these two verses at one point, because in my Bible these two verses are in red. By the way, this is Jesus speaking to Paul. It's spoken by a vision. Okay, this is a this is one of those. Uh, after ascension, communications from Jesus directly to the Apostle Paul. And he says three amazing things in this text of Scripture. I mean, quite frankly, they're phenomenal things. Like the first one is don't be afraid any longer. What does that mean? It means he was afraid. (laughs) And he listened. You know, what's your heart issue? You know, I mean, what is the thing that keeps you from keeps you from, whatever it from means, you know, keeps you from obedience, keeps you from being mission-minded, keeps you from doing the thing God wants you to do? What keeps you from? What is the thing you fear? Every one of us have fears. No one doesn't have fear, you know? I mean, all of us, Paul had fear. I mean, if the apostle Paul had fear, hey, it's okay to have fear, right? <laughs> Here he is, afraid. And, and Jesus says, him, stop being afraid. Don't, don't do it anymore. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid. Matter of fact, he's going to prove it in a couple minutes when he he says, I am with you. Wow, there's the presence of God. That's phenomenal. Here's Christ saying, I'm going to. You know, Paul, listen to that. Now, the second thing he says to him is, Go on speaking. Don't be silent. Open your mouth, Paul. Use your giftedness, might be the way we would say it. Express yourself. Don't be silent. Stop being silent. The silence is killing you, not just us. I've said that a hundred times, right? Our silence is killing us in the body of Christ. You, it's killing you. It's keeping you from you of having the experience of genuine validity and vitality in life. It's keeping you from that. Don't let that happen to you. Open up. Express yourself, you know. Use your giftedness, might we, the way we would say it again. I mean, and, and the third part of this, he says, I will be with you. I'm, I'm you know, he talks about presence and protection, basically. I'm going to be present with you and I'm going to protect you. No harm. I mean, that last part of that phrase is just so phenomenal. No harm to you, you know. I mean, no harm. He, he's not going to allow the harm to take place. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. Now, by the way, in verse 12, this gets tested. The Jews pull Paul in front of the pro-council, Galeo, and they throw him in front of the pro-council and say, we want him judged. It gets tested. The word of the Lord to you will always get tested. Don't expect it not to get tested. As a matter of fact, its validity comes through the testing. That's why it was so significant that the pro speaks up for Paul, doesn't even let Paul defend himself when they had accused him. The pro does, kicks him out of, his, out of his chambers, by the way, and when one of them starts getting beaten, he doesn't even care. And it's happening right in front of him. The pro does not even care. <laughs> I mean, it's phenomenal how the judgment of God falls on the person who is judging ineffectively toward another human being the Apostle Paul in this situation. Now more of that's said in chapter 19. It's described again in another setting, in another place, but it's the same principle, you know. It's the same principle. He moved away from disobedience. He moved toward those who followed Christ. I mean, he committed himself to obey the voice of God. And the thing I want you to see too in the end of this, he says, for I have many people in this city. In other words, Paul, no harm's going to come to you. And the reason it's not going to come to you is because of my people. My people hear my voice. My people follow me. My people listen. The ones who don't listen, they become hardened and they disobey. How do you decide? What do you decide? I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just think with God for a moment about your own life. Band's going to come and play. We're going to take up our offering here in just a second, and and uh, after the close of my prayer and and um, but I, but I want you just to think with God for a moment. Think about what God might be saying to you, how He might be saying what He's saying to you. Um, I'm not going to ask you to sing. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just just listen and just say, Lord. You know, my decisions, I've got decisions in front of me. They might be small ones, they might be regular, they might be big ones, they might be life-changing decisions. i got them in front of me, how do I decide? You know, Lord, Lord, speak to us. Um, We need you. And I want to thank you for the validity of our experience with you, as the Apostle Paul did. God, whether it was the Jews who were just coming after him, those different times in these two chapters, or whether it was the partnership he had with guys like Silas and people like Priscilla and Aquila. Lord, some those are strained things all the way to joyous things, but the experience in the middle of them is you. Help us to know you. Help us to understand what it is to walk with you. God, I want that so desperately. Empower your people, Lord. Empower me and us to hear you, to listen, to understand, and as Paul did, to decide. Create those decisions inside of us, Lord, that are just literally empowered by your Holy Spirit, teaching us those principles. As we give back to you here in just a moment, as the music starts playing, we're just going to take up our offering, and, and then we'll close the service, Lord. But my prayer is that this service isn't closed because you've opened up something in the conversation between us and you It's kind of like this book ending with questions. Lord, help us ask. Help us seek. Help us knock. And I pray that in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord.